please take your Bibles and go, go to the Gospel of Luke. You know, I don't know if you know, but we've done, this is the fourth message. Four, I don't usually do four Christmas messages before Christmas. But I did one where we looked at like some of the names of Christ based on Isaiah 7, Emmanuel, Isaiah 9, Prince of Peace, Mighty, and Counselor, and you know, Wonderful, right? Not just counselor, Wonderful Counselor, but Wonderful, Prince of Peace, all that. Then we had another message as well uh, where we looked at, uh, you know, God becoming a man through typology, powerful picture of Jacob becoming like Esau and dressing up all stinky to get the birthright. And that's a picture of God becoming a man and dressing up like us, becoming literally the God man, amen, to go to the cross and bear the curse on our behalf because of the first Adam, who Esau was also a picture of, Jesus being the second Adam, winning the birthright. And we are partaking with him of that eternal inheritance, amen. amen. Then I gave another one, uh, Wednesday, where we looked at not five, not three, not eight. We looked at 35 different prophecies about Christ's first coming, mostly associated with his birth and his life and so forth. And then I mentioned in that, that there's not some, many people say there's over 300 prophecies about Christ's first coming alone. People's eyes get big, like, wow, that's crazy. But I said, that number is far off because it's really thousands and you'll have to listen to that message. Don't worry, I don't go through all, I don't go through the thousands of them, but I give you why. I believe there's thousands of prophecies about his first coming. But we cover 35 of them, and over 20 of them we actually talk about for a while instead of just stating them. Uh, this one, I want to look specifically at the Christmas story. Now, if you were one of my children when you were young, that could be dangerous because on Sunday mornings before they opened gifts and so forth, I would take them through the Christmas story, but sometimes I would go through a harmony of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and put it all together in, in a, a, a harmony of the Gospel book I had, which puts you know, all the Gospels together as best they could understand this particular, I think it was Robert Shank's version. <laughs> that means you're even in the John 1, you know? The Word is God and the Word becomes flesh. That's part of the Christmas story, amen? I'm not gonna do that to you tonight, okay? Because this service can be a little shorter than normal. And we're going to try to be out of here before 7.30 even. If it's 7.30, then we're, you know, no time past that. But hopefully even maybe a little sooner, we'll see. But we're here to worship Jesus, amen. We're not here to make a pit stop and get out of here quick. We're here to worship the Lord. But uh, I want to encourage you. And my heart's prayer has been that this message would just really encourage you in your walk with Jesus and strengthen your walk with the Lord. And the thing about Christmas is there's just so many ways you could look at it. And sometimes people... They're used to hearing the same Christmas. Some, I know a pastor friend of mine, every Christmas he preached the same exact message. I've tried to never do that because I don't want it to be the same exact message, you know, every time. So I've tried to bring a different angle every, every time to one degree or another. But um, there's so much on it. But I want to cover most of the chapter of Luke with you. And Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he also wrote the book of Acts. And both of them are addressed to a person by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus, can you guess what that name means? Lover of God. Theo, God, right? Phyllis from phileo, the Greek word for love. Lover of God. His name was Lover of God. Now this was either to all people, all the believers who love God, or to a literal person named Theophilus who represented other lovers of God. It certainly wasn't just to Theophilus. Then we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, as much as many have, and he was a historian par excellence, of course he's anointed by the Holy Spirit, and as much as many have undertaken to complete an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. In other words, Theophilus is not just hearing the word for the first time. He's getting confirmation of what he'd already been taught. So it sounds like he is, if he's a literal man, he's already a believer. Amen. And it's interesting because now we come to Luke chapter 1 and the first verses where we see something quite interesting. The angel Gabriel appears to 
Zacharias, the priest. There are many priests. He's not the high priest. He's in a column of priests who are on a rotation who serve in the temple. And Gabriel is going to go to him and announce a miraculous birth, specifically John the Baptist. But because this is a really old guy, you know, and his wife is up in age and kind of like Sarah and Abraham kind of deal. And God's going to give them a baby. And there's an interesting contrast between the angel Gabriel going to Zacharias, but then also going to who? Who does he go to next? Mary. There's an interesting diagram that Luke gives us of parallels and contrasts that are all very important to understand the gospel of Luke, actually, because he's setting it up. And it's brilliant, but obviously it's the Lord through him. Verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the divisions of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. He's in the Aaronic line, you know, those were the priests, and, and so was she, and these were both righteous in the sight of God. He's a righteous, he's a righteous man, so is his wife, walking blamelessly in the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in a point of order of his division, according to the custom of priestly, the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside uh, at that hour and uh, the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Can you imagine? Zacharias was troubled when he saw the, the angel and fear gripped him. And fear just, just gripped him, you know. And I, I, I've never seen an angel in person that I know of. Uh, I can start getting points with my wife right now and say that she's close, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> and she's a blessing. But I was walking uh, in my backyard, just kind of doing some couple laps, you know, because I had messed up my back a little bit, but things are, praise God, a lot better. And I'm walking, it was really dark late at night, and there was some like lavender smell in the back, and kind of getting lost in that, 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 you know, that smell, it was just beautiful. And then uh, I just thought of this as I was thinking, uh, and then I turned around, and this big black shape just was right in front of me. My car goes, like, you know, and uh, it was my dog, not a big deal. But I was like, man, you scared me because I didn't see him coming, you know? And the same thing had happened, uh, who was it? I was at Costco, you know, and a brother, uh, Gerald it was, he came up in back of me and he's like, just put his arms around me, grab me like that. And I went like this, you know, like what in the world? And I'm like, I didn't tell him he thrashed my back again, you know, but uh, no, he didn't. I'm kidding. But it, you know, but you get, you know, you have those things in your life where you're just like, you're on, you know, he's tripping out. It's an actual angel. And he knows it's a supernatural being. And he's tripping, but uh, we read in the text that fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Now that's kind of interesting. Your petition has been heard. How long had he been praying? Was he still praying? Because when you keep reading the text, you wonder if he was still praying about it, which is really cool because it shows you that sometimes you pray about something and you think that God may not be hearing. Boom. And God's heard all along. And we always say, if you're praying, you're seeking the Lord, it's always, there's three, it was one of three answers, right? Yes, no, or, or wait. Well, his was wait, and he didn't know it, probably, because he's kind of tripping out when he hears this. And Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Of course, speaking of John the Baptist. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, while yet in his mother's womb. Wow, what a promise. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So it wasn't literally Elijah, but he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous 
so as to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. The people prepared for the Lord. Now it's interesting, verse 18 says, Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? Like how do I know this is really gonna happen, you know? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now at that point you're like, come on dude, you're freaking out because you're seeing an angel. He knows exactly what you've been praying all these years. He knows that maybe you still throw up a prayer, it looks like, from time to time, thinking it's not going to happen. But now he's doubting. But it's interesting. Verse 19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. By the way, Gabriel's an important angel. You see him here in Luke chapter 1, speaking to Zacharias. You'll see him revealing to Mary and Joseph a little bit later, specifically to Mary. We see him in Daniel chapter 8 and 9. He's the one that tells Daniel that the most high God, the son of the most high God, the Messiah will, uh, here he's called the son of the most high God when he talks to Mary, but he's called the Messiah and when he'll be born, when he'll come to the planet. Isn't it interesting? Gabriel in Daniel chapter nine in the Old Testament talks about how the Messiah would come after 69 sevens. It's one of the prophecies we went through last Wednesday, not gonna get into it, but gave the precise time that he would come to earth. And now he's here to say, hey, he's, you're gonna be the forerunner, your son's gonna be the forerunner, Zacharias, name John, right? Name John. And guess what? He's going to talk to Mary about that Messiah coming. A blow mind. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And wow, that's crazy, man. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak. Now that's, that's a trip. You shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Why? Tells us right there in the text. Because you did not believe my words, which, we, which uh, will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering as to his delay in the temple, right? But verse 22 says, but when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. See, God put him on mute. Boom. You ever put a television, just put it on mute? Or you just like the, what's on the commercial, whatever, you put it on mute? If I'm watching television, man, I mute commercials, you know? Uh, if there's an advertisement, I just hit mute. I turn my head, no. I, just, I got too much in my head already. I don't want to get filled with too much junk, right? So, but when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. It must be tough if you don't know sign language to make signs. My daughter, uh, Holly, she majored in sign language and so forth and I'm just lost when I see her. Sometimes I'm not even sure she's messing with me or, or talking to me. I watch her sometimes when she was younger. Now I know she knows what she's doing because uh, I see her talk to deaf people. I'm like, okay, she's not been faking it. Okay. Now it says, when the days of the priestly service was ended, he went back home. Verse 24, after these days, Elizabeth, his wife became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Now that's all quite amazing. But there's some really crazy parallels and contrasts with what happens with Gabriel and Mary. See, both Mary and Zacharias have an angel, same angel, appear to them. They're both shocked. They both become potentially fearful. They both are given, you know, talked about or told about having, there's going to be a miraculous baby. One's John, the other one's Jesus, amen. And they're both told not to be afraid, not to fear. So there's some interesting parallels, but there's also some wild contrasts, which we'll see in the text. So now picking up at verse 26. Now the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. So it's kind of interesting. He goes back to the heaven in the presence of God. Then he's sent to Nazareth. Now that's the contrast though, not Jerusalem. So there's some interesting contrast here too. And that's part of the narrative in Luke chapter one to get us to understand God's point in the rest of the book, which will we'll unfold a little bit. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And of course, Jesus Messiah would come from David. Verse 28, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. 
Now <laughs> that's pretty cool. Greetings, favored one. She's a favored one. The Lord is with you. You know how many women hoped that they could bring forth Messiah, you know? And then this angel comes to humble Mary and says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Like, what does that mean? The angel said to her, do not be afraid. There it is again. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He'll be great, and we call the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. By the way, this is the angel Gabriel. Gabriel saying he'll be called the Son of the Most High God. Amen. Islam, which has over a billion followers out of the close to 7 billion people on the planet. It's a lot of Muslims. Came years, hundreds and hundreds of years, almost 600 years after Christ. And Muhammad claimed that the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that he was the last and the greatest of the prophets. And said that he was coming in the tradition of the biblical prophets and told him that Jesus was a prophet. But this Gabriel said, but Jesus is not the son of God. Is that the Gabriel from the Bible? Absolutely not. In fact, the Bible says in Galatians chapter one, verse six, Paul says, if we or an angel from heaven comes to you and preaches another gospel, that which we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned, cursed. And in that book of Galatians, same books, it says that Jesus died for our sins, which Muslims deny, Muhammad denied. And it says that Jesus is the son of God, which they deny. And the Bible warns of false angels and the spirit of Antichrist, these demonic spirits, fallen angels. And it says of these fallen angels that they deny the Father and the Son. And they are the, these false prophets are of the spirit of Antichrist. So we need to know who Jesus is. And we know who the true Jesus is. You need to pray for Muslims this time of year. Because many of them will talk about Christ's birth and Christ being the pro prophet. And they'll talk to Christians, oh, we believe in Jesus, but they don't have the same Jesus and we need to make sure we share the, the true gospel with people, amen? We share the good news. The good news isn't that Jesus was a prophet. The good news is that he's God in the flesh and that he paid for our sins on the cross, amen, and rose from the dead. And it says here, he will be great and be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. That's another prophecy we looked at Wednesday. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The, an the, uh, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High. She didn't say, how do I know for certain this is really going to happen? She says, I want to know how this is going to happen. I believe you, but how is this going to happen? And he said, because she's a virgin. He says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God because this will come through the power of God. God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring forth Jesus into the womb of Mary and he'll partake of her humanity, but he is God, so he's the God-man, son of God, son of David. The Holy Spirit will come upon you the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, the Holy Child, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is, was called barren is now in her sixth month. Wow, that had to boost Mary's faith, right? Like, wow. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Catch that. For nothing will be what? Impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the, now this is amazing, behold the bond slave of the Lord. Now instead of doubting and say, how can I be sure you're going to actually do this and pull this off? Look what she says in contrast. This is why she's highly favored. And Mary said, behold the bond slave of the Lord. I mean, I'm your slave, I'm your servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. He didn't put her on mute. Amen. 
I love this. Because one thing we're seeing in the Gospel of Luke that you see is everything's turned upside down. Because the world's an upside down world. The wicked rule. The wicked are in power. I mean, think of, you know, I like to think that God-fearing people run our country, but it's largely corporations and lobbyists and politicians that are often sold out to the lobbyists and to the highest bidders, right? And Jesus says, don't be like the rulers of this age. Don't be like those who, you know, take advantage of everybody else and lord it over them. But if you want to be great in my kingdom, you must be the servant of all. And Mary has a servant's heart, man. Amen. She's a servant of servants. I'm your bond slave. May it be done according to your will. She's a humble servant. And we see this contrast where there's all these different contrasts with the rich and the mighty and the powerful versus the poor and the alienated and the scorned. Remember the shepherds? Were the shepherds the elite of the world back then? No, they were smelly guys out there taking care of the animals. They were despised by the common folks. They weren't allowed to hang out with a lot of different people. God revealed, the angels revealed to the shepherds, the Messiah, amen. Think about the contrast there. And even the priests, they got an elitist mentality. And guess what? Women were often scorned in society in those days. I love that the Lord, here's his, she's contrasted with a priest. He's put on mute, amen? And she's praising God. She's a woman, he's a man. It's not about the sexes. It's just kind of interesting how God is showing that he's for everybody and anybody who will respond to his grace, amen? He's in the temple. She's in Nazareth, which was despised by many people. Filled with immigrants. In fact, many in Judea had immigrated from Judea, Jerusalem, and the area of the world, and the larger Judean area had migrated to, most of them were immigrants in Galilee and Nazareth from Judea. He's an immigrant. A lot of Gentiles lived there. And it's just quite a, kind of interesting. Jerusalem versus Nazareth. So it's, he's having favor on her. And it's interesting when you think about what this means because... The Lord is saying something here, and it's important that we don't miss what's going on here. Just as Jesus, you know, think about where he's at and, and what happens with him. Think of the contrast with Jesus. Did Jesus identify with the rich and powerful when he came to the planet? With Caesar Augustus, he was in a palace. I mean, think of the contrast there. A lot of contrast there as well. In fact, it's interesting. Mary talks about how God exalts the lowly. And Jesus has no place to lie his head. Amen. He says, the, the, you know, the birds have nests and the, and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And that, start, that was true from the get-go. In fact, that term in, you know, he was, there was no place in the inn. It could have been a literal inn, but the Greek word actually could refer to just like a, a spare room. And it's hard to be absolutely sure. In fact, it could be even worse than not having a place in the inn because guess what? Being an immigrant and having come from uh, uh, her descendancy, coming from Bethlehem, going back there, what you would do is you'd go find your relatives. And your relatives would open up their homes to you. But there were a lot of relatives probably there. And it could be that she tried to just find a relative and stay in a room, that, which would be even worse, amen? There's no place in the, in the relative's room even for you. That's even worse than not finding a place in the inn, amen? We can't know for sure what was going on there. But it's just very interesting. And the parallels are crazy. Caesar Augustus, uh, he was considered God, amen? He was. They called him God. The Caesar, when Jesus was born, but guess what? I mean, the king of Rome, right? But Jesus is the king. And Caesar, on his birthday, they would sing about how he was a savior of the Roman Empire. But Jesus had no singers except God had to use a heavenly choir, amen? Jesus, God saves, amen? And he's praised. He's not a palace, but he's in a smelly manger among the animals. It's interesting, uh, Caesar Augustus, uh, he brought, or 
or emphasize Pax Romana, which was the Latin words for Roman peace, but Jesus is the Prince of Peace, amen? And the angels announced that he'd bring goodwill toward men, right? And peace on earth for men of goodwill, amen? So there's all these interesting contrasts going on, uh, but the name of Caesar Augustus is largely forgotten. And when we think of Caesar Augustus in history today, most people hear about him in the context of the Christmas story. Yet the name of Jesus is the most famous name on the planet. Amen. There's nobody devoted to any other name who's higher than any other name in the universe than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Mary was right. Psalm 138.6 says, For through Yahweh, uh, uh, for though Yahweh is high, yet uh, he looks after the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Now, this sets up the Gospel of Luke. Because in the Gospel of Luke, you'll see the disenfranchised are accepted. The rich who are pompous and full of themselves and want to live for themselves, they're rejected. They're invited, but if they won't come, I mean, it's in Luke where we read about the rich young ruler, right? It's in Luke where we read chapter 16, where we read about the rich man and Lazarus, amen? And who does God give favor to? Lazarus, but rich man goes to Hades. So this is all setting up the gospel of Luke. So you read the gospel of Luke, understand that the Lord is showing you and I that he's for all of us. Oh, he's for the rich too, he doesn't will that any would perish, amen? But Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But the disciples are like, well, how can they be saved? He says all things are possible with God. Same thing he said to Mary. Just like he can have a baby through a virgin, he can get rich guys through the eye of a needle because he's God, amen? But if you refuse to give up your riches and quit putting them first and put him first, you'll never get in because you have to choose to put Christ first. Now, when we look at the Magnificat, her song, Mary's song, it's filled with scripture. It blows me away because she praises God and uses language in Luke chapter one that's right from Hannah to, she identifies with Hannah's prayer when she prayed and God gave her a child. Amen. Look at Luke chapter one, verse 51. Luke chapter one, verse 51. And the, the, the Magnificat goes from 46 onward, but I want to pick it up at 51. Look at how she emphasizes God's grace and mercy. Man, the emphasis in, in this story, in the Christmas story, you guys, is grace and mercy. Listen to this, verse 51. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the th thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And he has exalted those who were humble. Catch that? He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to her as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months, that is with Elizabeth, and then returned to her home. Wow. There's a lot going on there, but it blows me away as brothers and sisters, you want to make sure you're a partaker of God's mercy and God's grace. God gives grace to the humble, it says, but he resists the proud. He has shown the old man, Micah 6, remember that? Verses 7 and 8. He has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. At least three times in the scripture, it just says straight out that God gives grace to the humble but he resists the proud. If you're gonna be proud and arrogant and think it's all about you and life should be all about you and everything should orb orbit around your world and you make yourself your own God, you can't be a recipient of God's amazing grace. Now, there's a difference between justice and mercy and grace. They're all three quite different. We always say justice is when you get what you deserve. So if you're one of those like, just God, just God will just get those. Well, guess what? As you dole out your heart toward others in an unmerciful way, God will be unmerciful to you. We want to look at people through the prisms of the cross and pray that they'd repent and be humbled and God would bring them to himself and have mercy on them and forgive them, amen? But justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is what? Not getting what you deserve. 
you know? And grace is getting what you don't deserve, God's favor, amen? God's forgiveness and, and love and not just not giving you judgment, that's mercy, but giving you blessing instead, amen? Praise God for his mercy, but praise God also for his grace, amen? And I've illustrated that before. I remember when I was a young father and I was kind of racing up the on-ramp. It was like one in the morning or something and Josiah's, you know, I think he was out of his car seat at that time. Uh, Josiah, were you out of your car seat yet? Where is he? Were you out of your car seat? Yeah, he was. Okay. He went back into it for several years, but no, just kidding. <laughs> but I'm racing up there and I know, I, and, and you know, I could hear my, you know, going up a circular on-ramp. I could hear the a little bit, but you know, you know you're not going too fast, but it's like kind of late and I was going too fast. And, uh, but not too fast to wipe out. I was just kind of, oh, I heard myself chirp a little bit. All of a sudden, I see a police officer pulls me over. And I'm like, I'm looking at my speed limit. And I'm like, my speed limit's good. Probably like between like around 65, 70. And I'm like, huh, that's strange. And I'd forgot that I got, I got on it kind of fast. And he said, hey, you got on the off-ramp kind of, on-ramp kind of fast. I go, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, man. He goes, he goes, yeah, but I pulled you over because the taillight's out, you know. And he didn't give me a ticket. He just, you know encouraged me to fix it. And, but he was nice to me because of Josiah, I think. He saw my little guy, and Josiah's like, is, you know, super cute. So now I don't eat five bucks, Joe. I just said that. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, so he doesn't give justice. He could have given me a fix-it ticket or, you know, reckless driving or whatever. Uh, he didn't give me any justice. He gave me mercy by not giving me what I deserved. But he also gave grace. He gave Josiah a bunch of stickers. I think they were badges, Josiah. You know, and Josiah was pretty excited about that. You know, he was 24 and he always wanted to be a cop. You know. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, I think he was like five years old or something like that. But it was really cool. The guy was super nice. But guess what? We deserve hell. Because we're sinners. And we know deep down in our hearts without Christ, we're, we've got just black hearts. And God could have just given us justice and separated us from us forever and say, okay, you're not coming to my kingdom. You'll ruin heaven. But he gave us mercy and didn't judge us, amen, and said no condemnation. And through the cross of Christ, I love the acronym Christ, C-H-R-I-S-T, Christ riches at what, or I'm sorry, God's riches. Get your G's and C's right, Jojo. God, or Joe, I'm calling myself Joe, Joe. God's riches at Christ's expense. Amen? And it's beautiful. Instead, he gives us eternal life. Amen? And it's just a beautiful truth. But look at what happens to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And how the angel greets her, the angel Gabriel. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, Who? Favored one. Favored one. He calls her favored one. Can you imagine being called favored one by God? I mean, we're just happy to get in the door, right? But he calls her favored one. The Lord is with you. Wow. Favored one, the Lord is with you. But you know what's interesting about this favored one? Okay. The Greek word is from the root uh, of the Greek Keratao. Keratao. You'd probably write it out like, you know, just, well, it's just keratao. And it's connected to the word charis, which is the Greek word. You remember the word charis means? Grace. Yell it out. Grace. Grace. Amen. It's a beautiful word. In fact, if you have a daughter coming, you might want to name her charis. I think it's just a beautiful name. Uh, but keratao. Amen. Favored one. Now, it's interesting. Because this word is very rare in the New Testament. It's only used two times. And here it's used of Mary as the favored one. Because now this is where, this is the rub though. If you look at like a Latin translation of the Bible, Roman Catholic translation specifically, Jerome, a early Roman Catholic leader, he translated it full of grace. There's a big difference though. The Greek word in the New Testament was written in Greek. The New Testament, it's in the passive form. Understand what passive is? 
In the Greek language, it's in the passive mood. It's, in a, it's, in this, in the, it's written in such a way where she's the recipient of God's grace. Are you with me? But the Roman Catholic Church translated into the Latin from the Greek didn't put it in any passive. They made it active. Jerome made it active. That she's full of grace. In other words, it's not that she's receiving God's grace. She's full of grace. She's a dispenser of grace to others. And it got twisted. So this beautiful story where Mary is so humble, where God gives grace to the humble, and so beautiful. And Mary was this wonderful woman. Praise God. She was humble before God. Fear the Lord. What a lovely woman she truly is. Amen. But they twisted it, and they made a doctrine out of that. And they translated it in Latin actively as though she was the one dispensing grace. And the Roman Catholic Church made this whole lie. And just as the Muslims have a different Jesus, the Roman Catholics have a different Mary. Because now she's a co-redemptrix with Jesus. She's a co-mediatrix. In fact, you know what? Jesus might be kind of hard to talk to, you know, or the Father, but, but Mary understands you. You could go to her and ask her to pray for you. So millions of Catholics, can you imagine? I, I'm sorry, man. I, I consider myself a pretty aware person, and, but when I have a couple of my grandkids talk to me and I'm talking to one of my kids, uh, so I'm like, wait, wait, wait a second. I can't follow it all at the same time. But Mary, she's the queen of heaven. She's like a goddess. They call her the queen of heaven because she can hear millions of people praying at the same time. You'd have to be more than human, right? But she's not more than human. And she's a repository of grace. And she's full of grace. And she's a dispenser of grace. Therefore, in the Roman Catholic Church, if you die with venial sins and you go suffer in purgatory, which invariably, typically, people do, and Mary's, they say, well, Mary's without any sin, which is a lie. She calls God her Savior. When you look at the prayer here, she goes and sacrifices doves with Joseph because she's a sinner. Jesus said, the Bible says, all have sinned, amen. That includes Mary. Yet they say that, you know, you could pray to her. And why do they pray? I used to pray this as a little kid. This is what I was taught. Say so many Hail Marys. And the priest loaded me up, man. I don't know why. I was a good kid, I thought, but I guess not. You know, he just loaded me up. Say so many Hail Marys. I'm like, no, I'm going to sin because I can't get through all these prayers. I want to go play with my friends, you know. You're saying Hail Mary, full of grace. You see, it's a twisting of this passage. This passage in the Greek is passive. She's a recipient of grace. But in Roman Catholicism, she's a dispenser of grace. And if you're suffering in purgatory, if you, dry, you die with a brown scapular, according to the Catholic Church, wearing it, guess what? She'll rescue you on the first Saturday after you die from the flames of purgatory. She'll come and rescue you. This is all fiction. Many of these teachings didn't come. And in fact, the, the, her, the immaculate conception that she was born sinless and that she ascended to heaven came several in the 1870s and 1800s. Back-to-back -back centuries, over a 1,000 years, over 1,500 years before, after the Catholic Church was formed, which was not the early church. It was a twisting of what was the true Christian church. Now, but we don't want to miss the beauty of this verse. That she was favored. So what can happen is because she's twisted, people will ignore the fact that God had great favor on her. And she was blessed radically amen just like we see the rainbow gets taken by, by you know the lgbt the, the the alphabet group right <laughs> and therefore we're like we don't know if we want to use rainbow now i'm still using the rainbow you're not stealing my rainbow man that's god's rainbow he made it amen so same thing with mary you want to praise god for what he did with mary but you know it gets a lot deeper than that it gets a lot deeper than that. Oh, by the way, Mary, because of all her righteousness, she's part of this treasury of merit whereby you can't get into heaven just because of what Jesus did. So Mary has all this extra treasury of grace that could be applied to you in the past through indulgences, Mary and other saints, through indulgences and, and different things. This is a false gospel, guys. This is a, there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, amen. And Paul said, if you put your trust even in something in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, circumcision to be right with God, you'll be cut off. How much more putting trust in traditions to be right with God would you be cut off from God? Amen? Now, this is what blows me away. What a blessing Mary is hearing that God pronounces through this angel who he dispatches to talk to her that she is keratao. She's a favored one. But you know what? 
That word's only used twice, as I mentioned, in the whole Bible, New Testament. It's just used one other time. But you know, the next time it's used, it's not used of Mary. You know who it's used of? It's used of you. Same word. You are the favored one as well. You are blessed. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 5 and 6. It says, He, the Lord God, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Wow. So the word grace there, look at verse six now. To the praise of the glory. We've been made children of God. We've been adopted, amen. That's, that's not justice, that's mercy and that's grace. Verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now that's not karakata, that's not karatao. That's charis. Grace right there. If you were looking at interlinear, you'd see the word charis there. But which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Beloved is not karatao either. Back up a few words. The word bestowed. The word accepted in the King James. is translated, I think, accepted in the beloved in the King James, if I remember right. Uh, bestowed is good. The English Standard Version, uh, I think, translates it, uh, translates it blessed. Blessed, can be translated blessed, can be translated bestowed, poured out. In fact, it literally says he freely, it says his grace by which he freely graced us. It means to be graced because it's connected to the word charis, but it's karatao, amen? So he graced us with grace, amen? We were graced by his grace. It's the Holy Spirit using, the, even in the Greek, such a wonderfully expressive language, but it's limited like any human language. And he uses this language to express this beauty. It means the grace with which he graced us. So Mary, people, brothers and sisters, people would look at that and they'd say, wow, she was favored by God. What a blessing. So are you. Where's that blessing though? In the what? In the beloved. Amen? In the beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus in the beloved. He's the beloved. Remember at Jesus' baptism, what did the Father say from heaven? This is my beloved son, amen? Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that all the blessings that we have as Christians, the result of Christ and what he did, and the result of being in Christ. It's not because you're good enough. None of us are good enough. It's because he is so good. He died for us. He rose again. And if you put your faith in him, you become a part of the body of Christ. You are in him. You are in Christ. You're part of his spiritual body, Amen? Now, this is amazing because if you look at it, like if you look at the text, it says, look at verse four, just as he chose us where? In him. Do you notice that in verse four, just as he chose us where? In him, right? It's interesting. And, and here we see again, we're beloved in him. Look at verse seven. In him. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, you see in him, in Christ, in the beloved. It's showing our location in Christ as Christians. We are in him. Amen. He lives in us and we live in him. And what are the blessings? Back up to verse 3. That we didn't read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has what? Blessed us with every spiritual blessing. With some? With many or what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Where are they? There it is again, in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that, he would, that we'd be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the condescension of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely karakatao, graced us in the beloved. Jesus is blessed beyond anyone else. He's God in the flesh. If you're in him, you're blessed in him because we're joint heirs with him. It says that we shall receive all things because we are in him. And you, brothers and sisters, not just Mary. Yeah, but Mary is highly favored. It says it right there. Yeah, it says it also of you. Amen? amen? amen. Because of Jesus, amen? amen? 
Amazing. And what do we have? We have the redemption, the forgiveness because of his blood. Verse 7. The forgiveness of our sins or our trespasses according to what? What's verse 7? According to the riches of his what? Of his grace. Amen. So we've been saved by grace. I mean, think about this. Look at how, what have we been saved from? Just look at Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, Paul says, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. That was us. Excluded from the life of God. We were separated from the love of God, or I'm sorry, the life of God because of the ignorance. We were ignorant that is in them because the hardness of their hearts, our hearts were hard and they haven't become callous. We were callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That was us. We were hard-hearted. We were practicing all kinds of sensuality and, and greediness. And, and just filth. And then back up to chapter 2, you know? It's amazing. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from God. You were separate from Christ, right? That's we were separated from Christ before we came to Christ. Excluded, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Catch that, man. Having no hope and without God in the world. Remember I asked for praise reports of why do we celebrate Christmas? Why are we so happy Jesus came? And Mark said, because we have earthly blessings, but we have hope for eternity. Amen? We were without hope. Look at chapter 2, the first couple verses. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead because we didn't have the life of God in us. And we're dead in our trespasses and our sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Man, we were children of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. But Jesus says came to, to overcome the power of the devil. Verse 3. Over among, um, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of what? Children of wrath, even as the rest. Just like everybody else, brothers and sisters, before we came to Christ, we were children of wrath. We deserve God's eternal punishment, amen? We were in dire straits, but because the Messiah came, because Mary was chosen as the favored one, and he decided to come through her and to make you and I parts of the body of Christ to save us through what Jesus did on the cross and paying for our sins. Amen? Amen. Something happened. We were all these things we just read about ourselves in Ephesians, who we were before Christ. But something happened. Look at verse 4. But God. Amen? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow. He's going to keep showing us his grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. Praise God. So we don't boast, say, yeah, God chose me because he saw what a hard worker I am. No, you deserve hell because of your works. So did I. The Bible says all of our works before God are like filthy rags. Amen. But because of God's great love for you, because he wanted to have favor on you, he became a man and died in your place and in my place so we could have eternal life. You see, when Mary is like, she didn't say, well, how can I know you're going to do this? No, she said, how are you going to do this? I'm a virgin. And then God said to her, the angel said to her, everything is possible with God. But God. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said, he looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But, but, but with God, all things are possible. Wow. Well, how is he going to redeem the world through Mary? 1 Corinthians 1.27, he's not going to. He's going to come through Mary. He's going to redeem the world through his own sacrifice. But he chose her as a vessel through which he'd come through. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. There it is again, that reversal. <laughs> 
Noah, man. The world was wicked. Amen. You feel like, you know, the Bible, Jesus said, it'll be like the days of Noah. He thinks it's pretty ugly right now. Got the days of Noah. But we read in Genesis 8.1, but God, but God remembered Noah. Amen. In the midst of the days of Noah, God will remember you if you're putting your trust in Christ. You know, you feel like your life, you've been cheated and mistreated. Remember Laban, we talked about recently, mistreated and uh, cheated Jacob. But guess what? In Genesis 31.7, it says, Jacob said, yet your father has cheated me, he said, and changed my wages 10 times. But God, he says, did not permit him to harm me. Amen. You feel like the enemy's breathing down your throat. How many sometimes you feel like, I know I'm under spiritual warfare. I know the enemy's after me right now. I'm under some attack here. You know, David was running from King Saul, who was a king of Israel at the time trying to kill him. And in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 14, it says, David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. Whoa, what's going on there? But, it goes on to say, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Amen? You feel like, yeah, but Joe, it's not that I feel like I'm being attacked. I just feel like I'm being tempted right now. I'm going through something really rough. And I'm being tempted by the enemy. You know what? The Bible says there's no temptation that's not common to all men. All temptation is common to men. But God is faithful, who with the temptation will also give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Amen. Seek God. Seek God. Cry out to him. Amen. You say, yeah, Joe, but you know what? I want to be humble and everything, but I just don't like where I'm living right now. You know, 1 Corinthians 2.10, I has not seen nor ear heard the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. Okay, Joe, I'm, not, I'm okay with where I'm living. I, I'm, I'll live in a tin can if God makes it big enough for me, but you know what? It's just some of my family members. I just feel so rejected. You know, I feel like the black sheep of the family sometime. How do you think Joseph felt? Rejected by all of his brothers, sold into slavery, amen? They could care less about him. And at the end of the book of Genesis, we read in chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says, as for you, to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive, amen? You say, well, you know what, Joe? I get all that, man, but I'm struggling with my health. I don't know how many weeks, months I might have to live even. Well, I want to share a verse with you that was my verse when I had COVID in the hospital for about five days and they told me that I wouldn't live. God said otherwise and praise God by his grace. This was one of my verses, Psalm chapter 23, verse, Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Know whether you stay or whether you go, man. If you're right with the Lord, you're going to be with him forever. Don't worry. Don't freak. Don't fret. Trust in Jesus. Amen? Trust in Jesus. You say, but I feel like I'm in the pits right now, Joe. I'm really depressed. Jonah 2.6. Talk about being in the pits. He says, well, he's in the belly of the great whale, the great fish. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. Can you imagine seeing roots from the mountains, which they now know they're under the, they're, they're there. The earth beneath me barred me in forever, but you, my, the Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. Man, I love that, man. Joe, I just wish God would reveal himself. He's so big. I wish I could get to know him better. Well, guess what? John 1.18, no one has seen God, but God, the only, the one and only God who is as the, at the Father's side, he has made him known. You feel like your hopes are dashed? Where they've gone? What's going on, Lord? Guess what? On Friday, the disciples felt that way, right? Jesus was crucified. They didn't really understand it fully, what he was teaching them. And we read in Acts 2.24 in the Pentecost sermon, Acts 2.24 Peter says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was, po- it was not possible or it was impossible for death to keep him, to keep hold of him. Acts 3.15, you killed the author of life, Peter says, but God raised him from the dead. Well, how does that pertain to my life? It pertains radically to your life because listen to Romans 8.11, the spirit of God The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. 
Same power, amen? You ever hear that song, same power, man? Same power that rose Jesus from the dead. If you're a believer, lives in you, amen? And Paul says the same thing in Ephesians. In fact, he wants us to understand it. Chapter one, verse 19, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, amen? Brothers and sisters, you say, yeah, but Joe, I've got this sin problem, man. I've been struggling with sin. Well, Romans 5.8, I don't know if God loves me. I'm just so bad. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, but I know I deserve death because of my sins. Did you miss this? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God is so good. Amen. Amen. He is so good. You guys, the book of Ephesians, 12 times it uses the word grace, charis, right? That's amazing. Unmerited, undeserved favor from God. The word glory is used eight times in Ephesians. The word inheritance is used four times in Ephesians. The word riches is used five times in Ephesians. The word fullness, the words fullness and filled are used seven times in Ephesians. And they're all bound up with Christ. I'll tell you what. The main verse that I've kind of sprung off of this teaching is Luke 1.28. And I want you to remember this verse along with Ephesians 1.6. And coming in, that is Gabriel, remember? He said to Mary, greetings, favored one. And we looked at favored one, and you and I in Christ are also what? We're the favored one, amen? But he says something beyond that, I want you to remember. He says, greetings, favored one. He says, the Lord is what? The Lord is with you. Isn't that interesting? Because she would bury Emmanuel, and the Lord was with her, and she's favored. But she'd bury Emmanuel, whose name is Jesus, God saves, but he's also called Emmanuel. It's called by many names, wonderful counselor, many, many names. But that means God with who? Mary or God with who? God with us, amen? amen. The reason all these things are such a blessing in Christ is because he's with us, amen? And I'm telling you right now, before I was a Christian, I was dark. I was all these things that Paul mentions. I was under the prince and the power of the air, you know, untouched with demonic forces through occult practice, which I didn't even know what it were that I was doing. I just opened myself up to these forces. I was filled with darkness and just selfism and nihilism and just, just the, the lost things of the world. And Satan had me bound, man. I didn't know any Christians. I didn't know Jesus. But in my darkest days when I realized something up, man, I've opened myself up some really demonic type stuff. These demonic entities are real. And I don't even know who really God is, but I know he exists because I know if these demons exist that are harassing me. And I was bound up. I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. There's a humming sound going through my head. It's, a, it's an occult practice that I'd, it opened up. I didn't realize it was people. It happens to people all over the a place. And in the midst of that experience, when it seemed hopeless, but God, I cried out to God, a feeble prayer, a weak prayer. I cried out to him, and it stopped, man. I was like, what in the world? I was free. <sighs> but God. And a week or two later, the same experience happened again. And I cried out to God more directly this time with a little bit better prayer. But God, he stepped in again. I was free. I got on my knees, and I said, God, I want to know you. And he revealed his son to me. And I came to Christ, and, and, and my life's been transformed ever since. And that happened way back when I was turning 18. And I haven't regretted it since that time. We're talking over 40 years later now. And not one day have I regretted knowing Jesus. The only regrets I have is the days I didn't know Jesus. The days he was not first in my life. And I want to encourage you in this. Paul said, I thought I was a really bad sinner, and I was. But Paul said, he had me beat. He has you beat. He said, he called himself the chief of sinners. But he said, God saved me, he said to show others in the future that whoever comes to Christ, he'll also accept them. That's why Jesus said in John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will not cast away any. He paid for every sin that you committed on the cross. On the cross, he died for all of them. 
The Bible says he's a payment for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, amen? That's the good news, amen? The good news is that Jesus died for you and he rose again and that you can only be forgiven and, also, and receive God's mercy and, not, and escape the justice of God, which you deserve rightfully, but you can accept his forgiveness, his mercy, redemption, but you can also be seated in heavenly places. You can be in Christ Jesus. You can share his eternal inheritance because that's grace, because it goes beyond mercy, amen? But you have to receive him. You can't say, well, how do I know he'll save me? You have to say, may it be done according to your word, God. Have mercy on me. I want to have eternal life. Amen? And you'll be saved. Amen? So embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now if you haven't done that. And if you're already in Jesus, rejoice. Rejoice because you are in him and you are a favored one. And you have all these different blessings that he's talked about and all these different applications we talked about. But God, he steps in and does everything you need him to do and more. Amen? What awesome Savior we have. Let's all stand as we pass out the cup and the bread.